Welcome to the Should Have Backed It podcast. This is episode seven, and sadly, the final episode of our first season. But don't despair, we've got plenty to cover today. It's been two weeks since we last came together, and we've had multiple meetings at Ascot. We had Mooney Valley and Rose Hill yesterday, and a range of country cups. Uh, as always, I'm joined by racing analyst for the Herald Sun, Chris Venuccio. How's the punning going, mate? It's been a little while since we've had a chat. Hello, Phil. Good to be here again. And past two weeks have been a bit tough since Sandown and Stakes Day. So, yeah, a lot to um, go through and see if we can find out where we've gone wrong and look to see if we can learn some lessons there and that we can take into next year or for the rest of the year as well. A bit tough, mate. That's very disappointing no. to hear. You were, you know, Australian of the Year a couple of weeks ago and now it's all come crumbling yeah, no, down. Yeah, it's just been... Uh, hasn't been a, a good two weeks. So I've just backed a few seconds that I've just missed and, you know, and because of that, I've, I'm eating all your chips here. I can't afford to buy, <laughs> can't afford to buy my own pack of chips. You're so singing for your supper now. Yeah, sorry about that. You had a full pack when I got here and it's, <laughs> but it's all disappeared, so... Yeah, just um, a lot of it is, yeah, you're always going to have ups and downs in punting, you know, that that's always inevitable. It's just learning where your mistakes were and rectifying that and, you know, there's always a, a winner along soon. Well, speaking of your mistakes, uh, we'll start to nice segue into our first segment. So uh, who's your should have backed it for the, well, I guess you could talk about the last two weeks. Yeah, we can. I think there was a few should have backed it. Yesterday or or the Saturday that just passed, uh, we had to be Rania at Rose Hill, race number seven. And, look, I got a little bit put off by barrier one. I just didn't know how far back he was going to get. It was a little bit of a tricky race. And, I, I mean, in the end, he's just won... Well, not convincingly. I mean, he only just won by a nose, but... There was a big gap to third, so the first two out of that race, Rania and Live Free, were a lot better than the rest. But I just wasn't sure where where he was going to map, and I for that reason I stayed out. But the first two over the line were you know superior. I mean, Bobbing ended up getting backed into favouritism, so there's a lot of spruik on Bobbing in that race. So I just thought I'll just stay out and look for easier options on the day, and no, just kicking myself afterwards well mate i saw you just mentioned live and free ran second in that race and from memory that was the horse to follow in our last podcast and came ninth there and it's almost got the job done in that race geez it's come to form pretty quickly yeah, and i thought it was going to win it that race and I, I didn't know what was going to irritate me more you know not backing ranier or not backing live and free and live and free winning so i didn't think it was the right time to get on live and free. I thought it needed another run and then maybe third up, 1,800 around that distance range. So I know usually we do our horses to follow later in the podcast, but I think live and free is now ready to win and you might get a good price because I think he was paying about $9 yesterday. So hopefully next start... Uh, Unfortunately, I reckon you might lose your price just on that run because... If it had run a nice fourth or fifth, you'd still probably get nine or ten dollars. Well, but... I'm happy to get fours. If, if you know that a horse is going to go close to winning, or you know, fours, give me fours. As soon as a market comes out for his next race, if I'm happy with the price, I'll take it. Well, speaking yeah. of happy with the price, that's uh, a nice little move into my should have backed it for the weekend. And to be honest, this is the easiest should have backed it I've had to talk about 
in the whole podcast series. Um, easiest because I've absolutely had an absolute mare. Um, Haydock yesterday in the winter bottom mm. stage. You did text me. Oh, mate, I've, I've texted you at about 10 a.m. that morning saying that's a great each-way bet. We'll definitely be on that at around $13. I just didn't get around to it. And um, watching the race and watching it pop out of the gates, go to the front, never looked like losing. And um, just a, a horrible, horrible one for me. I definitely should have been on that at $13 as soon, and better. As soon as you sent me that text, I was at the TAB when you sent me that. You're telling me that you liked Haydock and a, a mate of mine... Right after that text, he backed Haydock. He liked it too. And then someone else in the TAB told me that they were keen on Haydock. So since then, I had at least two people tell me they're getting on Haydock at that price. Well, they were smart enough to actually get on it though, weren't they? Yeah. And I think it's another lesson there as well. Wide barriers isn't such a big problem most of the time. And his price drifted because of the wide barrier. But the railway stakes winner, wide barrier... Melbourne Cup, Cox Plate, Caulfield Cup winners, wide barriers. It's just a big overreaction to wide barriers when it comes to the to the markets. They always drift and inside barriers always come in. And looking at that race you mentioned at the winter bottom, I was keen to get on trekking. Barrier four, three dollars fifty was about on the Tuesday night after the barrier draw, but something was just telling me not to back it it was just i wasn't that gung-ho on trekking as i yeah, thought it, i would be it had that feel didn't it because i think it started about 280 but yeah. it's been sydney melbourne and, across and, to and perth it just you just felt like it was there to be yeah. there to be beaten yesterday still performed well yeah. but there was definitely more value in the race which is why i leaned towards hey doc and i mean you mentioned the wide barrier luke Curry did a great job getting it across without doing any work really there was probably not that much natural speed in that race which i think really really helped it um in the early stages and then just controlled the race yeah. beautifully after that yeah and with trekking uh, as i mentioned barrier four it is a get back course so it depends on how far it gets back or can it be midfield or closer wasn't so sure but that was always going to be the horse where you know the punters and the you know the experts were going to always pinpoint because he just looked the obvious on paper because he had big run in the Everest. I thought in the Red Zell, him and Prada were both a little bit flat, even though they ran one two. Yeah, you mentioned and that I think, against yeah. that field. I think they were two the two clear cut, but it was a bunch finish, and I just was wondering whether he might be at the end of his prep, whether he could rebound again. You know, three or four weeks between runs. But you compare that to Haydock, second up, he looked like the horse that was being targeted for the winter bottom. So I'm glad that I stayed out of that race in the end and, you know, saved a few dollars on not backing trekking. Because in the end, went into 240 and I thought, that's just incredible. It just thought too short, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, I mean, the lesson for me, I guess, is that, yeah, if you, you do like a horse, and it did look like tremendous value, it probably should have been a seven to eight shot, dollar shot. And I think, obviously, it's had its... A uh, bit of a break, come back quite well from that break, hey, Doc? And, you know, Group 1 yeah. winner already. Did seem yeah. like a good bet and turned out to be an excellent bet for those who did get on it. Speaking of bets that probably aren't as excellent, uh, what was your should have sacked it over the last couple of weeks? I know, um, I think you might have something from the country, which is exciting. Yeah, the Ballarat Cup. And let me just say beforehand, I'm, I might um, give Ballarat a miss next year because <laughs> there's just something about that Ballarat meeting where... 
I think there was a track bias, and I just think it seemed like at the start of the day, you had to be on the rail mm. leading to win. Then all of a sudden, late in the program, you had to be out wide. So, and that's happened the last two years now, where that track has just played a little bit funny. So I might, I might just sack the Ballarat. Sack the meeting. whole meeting. I was, I was going to make that. I should have backed it. I should have sacked it. Sorry the whole Ballarat program. But more specifically, I'm going to go with Dr. Drill. I was keen on it. That's in the Ballarat Cup. In the Ballarat Cup. Cup. Yep. Um, maybe, I mean, it, it was going up in grade or in a stronger race and I didn't back it at $2. I was surprised it got backed into about $2.60 in the end. I, I was on it at fours um, before Harbour Views came out. Mm. I, was, I was willing to take on Harbour Views in that race. And I was just surprised at how how overbet Dr. Drill was. I mean, it looked like it was it was backed as if it was never going to get beat. But maybe against that field, as a stronger field, it was up against, may not have been up to it. And you know, maybe I just just dived in too heavily. Yeah, they might have been going back to the well as well with that one. I mean, it did it had had a really good form yeah, leading up yeah. to that race. The Cranbourne Cut win was was a was, was very big win. But, big I, don't, win, yeah. Yeah, but I don't think. Any much has come out of that Cranbourne Cup since. I know it won well, but the form around that Cranbourne Cup behind him hasn't been that good. And so, yeah, I just think maybe I uh, dived in. I reckon the reason why he was backed heavily was because he had barrier one, might have sat behind the leader, and with the way the track was pay- playing, uh, would just kick through. But he, he got held up a little bit. But then I think from that race, that's when they all started coming out wide and... And the rest of the program, they started winning from you know back and wide. Yeah, well, as a blanket finished that with Kawhi just getting the job yeah. done from a, you know, a, about four or five others I think were yeah. right on the line there with it, which was a good story in itself, but obviously not the story you were looking for. Yeah, and and Doctor Drills only got beaten a length um, in fifth, but I think that just shows there that that was a, an open Ballarat Cup where there wasn't much between them. So to get into 260 for Dr. Drill, I thought was, you know, pretty crazy. Yeah, it had a, a similar field, I guess, to trekking in the last discussion we've just had in Dr. Drill. But, yeah, I actually stayed out of that, that meeting completely. So it sounds like I've made the right call there, Big V. Uh, my should have sacked it from the last couple of weeks was actually yesterday at Mooney Valley. And not because it wasn't, you know, justifiably the strong favourite in the race, but just at the end, the price was just too short to be getting involved with was Shawnee in the uh, seventh race there. I know that's a favourite of yours from a couple of meetings back at mm-hmm. Flemington, but it was its first time at the Valley. It had gone up five kilos, and I know you don't, you know, think that's too important, mm-hmm. but, you know, it can make a difference. Still only beaten two lengths, but at seventy just didn't look like a, a good bet, really, at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised... Um... Just by the margin, it was beaten. And there is one one bookie, Ladbrokes, that each week they have a, a special where they offer inflated odds for a particular horse. Yep. And for some reason, they always seem to get it right. And yesterday, and <laughs> it was Shawnee. As soon as you see that uh, enhanced bet, you know the horse can't win. They've yeah. got something. I don't know. They just <laughs> they offer they offer it for one horse on the Saturday, whether it's Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. And the price just looks too good. You know, they I think they were offering two fifty for Shawnee. And yeah, you know, whenever I see that, you know, usually I don't bother about bookmaker tips because they're not there to help you find a winner. But for some reason when they offer these inflated odds for the runner that they've chosen, 
he gets beat. I noticed that with another um, betting agency. I think it's, I can't remember which one it is, but it was offering enhanced odds for a horse to finish in the first four or for the Melbourne Cup in the first 10. And it just happened. I think Mystic Journey was their horse in the Cox Plate, um, ran fifth. I think Shadow Hero might have been its horse in the Derby, yeah. and it just yeah. ran in behind where it was meant to. I think Constantinople yeah, was, that was the one for the Melbourne Cup. Was its yeah. horse to finish in the top 10, which at $4 or whatever they were offering seemed like a bargain, but I think it ended up finishing 13th. So um, you've just got to be a little bit careful when you see those uh, seemingly good options come up on your sports bet account or whatever account you have because often there's a little bit of thoughts being put into it from the... uh, from the betting yeah. agency perspective. It does have to make you think twice because it, it is it looks too good to be true, but probably they're, not, they're not there to <laughs> give you free money. I know they did it with Winks, but you know they're only doing it up to $20, so they're not giving away too much. But yeah, these specials that they have, just think twice before diving in. Speaking of that, there's been a lot of discussion recently about the tote, um, the national tote fixed market betting and the fact that we've actually seen quite a big reduction in the um, amount of in the pools for the tote so i'm just interested in your perspective big v someone who uh you know obviously is a tipster for the herald sun but also does a bit of gambling as well i'm interested in what you use do you still use the tote are you a fan of the national tote and what do you think sort of needs to happen for the racing industry going ahead with that with that particular issue i don't bet on the tote i'm a fixed odds punter because I like to know what I'm getting and if I think I'm getting a, a good price then I'll, I'll take it. There is one bookie that I I bet with that I go fixed and if the SOP is greater then I'll get the SOP price. So you get so it anyway. I'll get that if yeah, yeah so I like I do like that option. Just the the tone is just so unknown and we, we have a mutual friend who will bet you know fixed or tote or anything and I've been with him a couple of times when he's had a bet and he's put his money about you know a minute before the jump and he's thinking he's he might get close to let's just say for example maybe 380 you know 380 394 dollars and then races one and one he's he's picked the winner and he's getting 320 and it gives him the gives him the irrits well you can overcome that in a way though if you're with some of the agencies you get best tote so it doesn't really matter which tote you're on anyway that's a national tote of sorts I would have thought as well. Well, some give you you know the best of the best option, but if you yep. t- if you're looking at yeah most of the the turnover revenue comes from the TAB tote. So if you're doing it with the corporate bookmakers, I don't know how much of that is going back into racing. I mean, this is an area that I'm not I don't have a, a great deal of knowledge about. I'm just looking at it from a you know a price point of view. So yep. if a lot of young people, I don't think are betting on the tote. It's more for the older followers of racing. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, they're talking a little about it on racing.com during the week, but I don't think there was, they were talking about a lot of solutions. They were highlighting the problem that a lot of people aren't betting on the tote. So why is that? Now, how can we get people to start betting into the tote? So is it having a national pool? But maybe not only that, maybe you have to reduce the takeout from the tote. Because the reason why, as we talk about our mutual mate, he thinks he's going to get close to 380 and he gets 320 instead, he feels like he's been cheated. That's because I think that the the takeout gets calculated after the race, not not during, not before the race when you've got the odds changing. So he's thinking he's getting a particular price. It gets cut 
by a significant amount because I think that's the takeout. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that, and I'm not sure how the nuances of that actually work. Uh, I'd be disappointed as a punter if that was the case, because you should be should be transparent in how that occurs, and you shouldn't. That all should be occurring live. Yeah, from oh, my I perspective, mean, I'm not sure how. I'm not sure it might be. Yeah, as as the betting is happening, my theory is, and if I'm wrong, um, we're happy to be corrected. That be should corrected. have acted. My, my theory is, and my dad would always ask the question, he'd, he'd ask all the time, you know, do they calculate the takeout while people are betting or after the race? Mm. Well, I'll I tell you what that wouldn't solve. Like the national tote would not solve yeah. that problem, but it probably for me wouldn't really solve the problem no, either. Think, it's I, almost the horse is bolted to pardon a partner well, on well, that one. Well, I think if you want to get more people to bet on the tote, reduce the takeout. Mm. If you're concerned about declining revenue... I mean, people think, they must think that, all right, if we reduce the takeout, we're going to reduce the amount of money that's coming back into the industry. Well, why not think of it this way? If we reduce the takeout, we might increase punting and we might get a greater return. What is for certain is that the trend for particularly younger punters, and you definitely fit in that category, is to go to that fixed market. And I think that's where the, the trouble is that people want certainty around what they're going to get, what the price they're going to get. They might boost it through their, their, their agency. But what I have found, having gone to a lot of meetings this year, is that the bookies are back for me. They're offering yeah. some great value when you go to the, the races themselves, much better than you're getting with some of those agencies and, and, and much better in particular than the tote is offering. Yeah, it is. And it's, um, it's good to have a bet with the bookies. But I think one thing that why people don't go to the races is it's a lot easier to watch from home, watch at a pub. Um, you might still have a phone account with the bookies. And the other thing is for you know, punters like you and me, if we want to go to the races, particularly during the spring, we've got to pay $50 plus just to get through the gate. And then, then to have a bet, whereas we can go to the pub, we don't have to pay an entry, maybe just buy a few drinks, but then we can do our betting from there. So... I mean, I think if you want to get more people to the track to have a bet, just why not just get rid of the entry fee? Just maybe, open maybe, the gates. Open the gates. Maybe during <laughs> carnival time. Let's make the prices more reasonable. I, I, I can't see why during carnival time the entry for general admission can't be just $40. Why does it have to be 55 it's a tough one, isn't it, for the clubs? Because obviously the carnivals where the money is made for the industry over the over the entire year, really. Um, I know Mooney Valley, for example. I imagine the Cox Plate is a inordinate percentage of their returns for that particular season, and their success of the club is probably largely geared around the success of that event. So you would have to crunch the numbers after get the accountants out to work out whether that's actually something that would um, increase revenues or whether keeping those prices where they are. I mean, crowds were down this year, but not to a point where you'd be yeah. overly concerned, particularly given having gone to a lot of those race meetings, the weather was pretty shocking during yeah. most of them. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty um, complex issue, but in terms of the tote and the fix, I, I just don't see necessarily... Uh, how the nation, nationalising the tote is going to make much difference, to yeah. be honest. And I think GA for Flemington, it might be around that $70, $80 mark, and I'm surprised people will pay that. I mean, we were at Stakes Day and we saw a lot of young people there, you know, we're talking about, you know, maybe 
17, 18 year olds, maybe early 20s, you probably get the concession prices. But if you're early 20s or a uni student, you're paying 70 to $80 entry fee. That's a lot of money. And what it does mean is you're only going to go to one day on the carnival, yeah. aren't you? So I'm not sure if that particular demographic's the kind that would go to two or three. But if you're going to pay $80 just to get in and then, you know, have a couple of drinks, have a couple of bets, you're certainly not going to have a go to another day based after that. So it's a fair point. And um, yeah, not one I had really thought about in terms of that pricing element to it. But yeah, no, a good point nonetheless. In terms of your tipping, Big V, so we, we joked last week about Australian of the Year and, you know, you're, you're airborne and all those types of things. So we did get a little bit of feedback from some of our listeners and, and thanks for that. But what they wanted to know, Big V, is when you're doing your tips for the Herald Sun or when you're betting on a Saturday, they really wanted to know how you prioritise who you're going to back and what factors you use. I know you've talked about a few things, like the fact that you don't necessarily count weight as a big yeah. factor in your betting. But I guess from my perspective as well, as well as the prioritisation of the different elements that you might consider, I'm interested how much of it's head and how much of it's heart, whether you let your emotions get involved in it as well. Yeah, it's very tricky um, and probably a good time to talk about it because I haven't done too well the last few weeks. <laughs> I'm on a bit of a, a, a trough at the moment. Um, like I, when I have a bet, obviously you want to find some value in the price. I mean, obviously, we can all tip $2.20 winners and all that, but is that going to give us a, a good return in our pocket, that type of thing? So I think the the key step is you want to back the horse, personally, that's in the right grade. I think that's the starting point. You know, the horse you know, has to be in that right class. And um, maybe I got that wrong with Dr. Drill in the Ballarat Cup. Maybe he was stepping up a little bit in class. Uh, I think I got that wrong yesterday with House of Cartier in Sydney. I think he was stepping up in grade and he was the, the favourite. Can we just talk about that for a second for some of our listeners that might not understand the different class structure of the racing industry? But how do you know then if those horses are ready to step up in that class? Because yeah. Dr Drill may have come out and won. Yeah. It didn't actually perform poorly in that race. So are you saying that if the horse hasn't performed at that level or shown evidence that it can win at that level, that you would usually steer clear of it? Well, sometimes the horses step up in grade and they're ready to win. I think a lot of times is, you know, they might step up in grade, but is their price, are they priced correctly? Mm. You know, is it, I mean, that's what punning is. It's taking a risk, you know. We, we, are, we are gambling that this horse can step up to the mark and, and win, but... With House of Cartier, it was back into 320. So was 320 the right price to find that out? Yeah, it might have had a few issues, but um, it was you know one of the first beaten, and it, it was coming up against some decent Saturday opposition. Whereas you look at you know, other races where horses might be stepping back in grade, and you think, well, this is the right, or, or staying in a similar grade, and you think, yeah, this is the right, you know, we can still back this horse. Like at Ballarat, I was on Little Contra, which was coming out of a Group 1 race, running against, you know, similar class of opposition at Ballarat. Still got beat, but it was still close. Yeah, so that makes sense yeah. to me. So if it's performed at the level, sometimes yeah. you can get a bit of value yeah. about a horse that might have finished fourth or third in that at that class level against a horse that might have won in the class or 
below it or the below that who's coming up and seems like it's in better form but perhaps isn't as classy a horse as as the one that's already um at that level yeah. so what about other things so what about the track do you how much do you um, worry about the track well i like to stick to good tracks and obviously the good threes good fours so pretty much dry tracks um soft fives are okay i don't so i don't like it when it's raining puts me off a little bit so I, I like to that's why i had a bit of trouble during the winter i lost a, a fair bit of money during july mm-hmm. because you, we got a lot of wet tracks and it does make it harder it yeah. Does, yeah so i think from that experience i'll maybe rethink next winter i might avoid those wet tracks so i try to hopefully stick to you know dry days in good days but in the, in the winter, you'll still be doing your Herald Sun tips. So you'll yeah, we'll uh, still have to do the. Tips. So um, when you're doing those, what what will you be thinking about then? Now that you've you've had that experience. Well, I'll look for the um, the wet trackers. But the, the the hard thing is, is you I'm doing my tips on a Wednesday. Um, have to get them in by Thursday noon. It just depends on how much rain you're going to get between Thursday. Oh, yeah, and trying Saturday. to fight the Melbourne weather is always yeah. a bit of a challenge. So you, sometimes yeah. you might do your tips for a good track and then it's soft, or you might do your tips predicting it's going to be a soft track and the rain doesn't come. Mm. And then you, so I, I do all my tipping based on a good track, mm-hmm. and you just and whatever the weather happens, it happens. I just pick the best horse in the race, but then. When it comes to the Saturday, you either adjust or you just say, all right, it's raining, I'm going to stay out for this particular meeting. So I, I like to just stick to good tracks, easier to do the form. Mm-hmm. And then from there, so so we've got you know, the class of the horse, the track conditions, then I look at barrier and where they might position. Yeah, so uh, the, the map, how the, the whole map. race maps, yeah. Um, and... I like I prefer horses that can be on speed midfield. Sometimes you you look at a race and you like a particular horse, but it's a backmarker. But you think this horse is just the best horse, the the one in the race. Do you take that chance? You know, the horse getting back and hoping everything unfolds. So one horse I was really keen on yesterday in Brisbane at Doomburn was Outback Barbie. Yep. But I saw that she drew barrier 13. So 12 months ago, same situation with Outback Barbie. Drew wide early in the prep. Settled near last. Never a chance of winning. So learning from that experience, I saw Outback Barbie, barrier 13. I stayed out. Went close to winning. I was going to say, you're about an inch from being yeah, wrong. I know. <laughs> I know. It stayed... Um, I'm relieved that it just got beat. But I think Outback Barbie, Outback Barbie might be a better horse than 12 months ago, even though she had a, an ordinary mm. uh, autumn campaign. Um, but first up, she did show some ability to be on speed. But from Barrier 13, when her target is Magic Millions Day, I thought she'd be back in the field, which she kind of was. But other times, I back last week I had a, two bets in the WA Guineas. And they're two backmarkers, KC and Dig Deep. Both backmarkers, you had the wind conditions that weren't going to help them. KC nearly won, Dig Deep, no chance. It's all about listening to yourself, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes you see a horse, you want to back it, it's a backmarker, and you go against what your 
yeah, and, principles are. And, and, the, and the back marker, it's an interesting one because obviously, as you've said, you can find yourself in a lot of trouble as a back marker. You've, you've got to have an element of luck um, if you're going to put yourself at the back of the field. But I think where you probably um, are not giving yourself enough credit is where around you're doing the speed maps. Yeah. So as a back marker, you really want that stronger pace in the race to ensure that they are in a position to make up that ground at the end. So that, for me, if you're going to back a, a back marker, is a really important yeah. step in the process. And I, one, I bet you do, but it probably just yeah. uh, looking over at the moment in terms of yeah. um, your discussion here. Yeah, and I think last week, you know, Ballarat Cup Day, Railway Stakes Day, because I'd lost on Dr. Drill, I was chasing a little bit. Mm. So I went with Dig Deep, in the WA Guineas, had Damien Oliver on board as well. But I knew it was a back marker, 350 in the market. Geez, that was pretty tight. So I, I review that um, and, I, and I think to myself, you know, why did I get on that horse? You know, the factors just weren't right. You know, the barrier, its position in the run and the odds, it just looked, you know, poison for me. But because you're chasing and you've got the... You're letting your emotions get the better of you. I went against what my punting principles went were. with your heart, not your head, Big V. Yes. That's what, that's and, what and I wanted that, to get out. And that's the key lesson as well. Yeah. Also, you've got to take out the emotion as well because you get emotional when you're winning and you're losing. Sometimes when you're winning, you go, all right, I'm on a roll. I'm just going to have another bet here. And then that <laughs> might be the one where you you lose. You're giving a bit of money back. but Yeah, and so, I think that's key too. You've yeah. got to pick and choose your targets. Yeah. Just having small bets in yeah. each race, whilst it might be fun and you might win a couple of races, is never going to be a formula yeah. for punting yeah. success yeah. from a financial perspective yeah. anyway. And if I'm having... If I only like two, bet, uh, two races to have a bet in, if I happen to win both races, then I'll just... That's it. Take my money. I'm not going to find a third race to have a bet in. But people get... You know, they get on this high... Don't want to keep betting, but last week I was, you know, on a low because I was trying to recover my Dr. Drill money and, you know, going for the wrong options. And then from there, um, so then the next point, then I'll start looking at, you know, the jockey trainer and not so much, as you mentioned, weight. I mean, sometimes I try not to be too focused on weight, but sometimes you do like to pick horses that you know, are in the mid-range, low in the weights. But the other thing is you've got to look at the weight and compare it to the rest of the, the opposition. If someone's carrying 59, 60, 61, but you've got a 56 minimum, then it's not so much of yeah, an issue. Yeah, like everything, it's a relative thing, yeah. the weight. Yeah, I, I, we have had that, that discussion in the past around yeah. how much you, you believe in that. But, uh, well, thanks for giving us that overview. All I can say is that it's very complex, and if we yeah. were, if we knew the, you know, the crack dancer would all be millionaires but and the other thing is that sometimes you feel like like i feel like on a saturday i have to have a bet on something and you just feel like all right this is the best horse in the race i'm going to back that and i just back it but sometimes i've got to take that step back and go are the factors right for me Mm. and then um and i think the last two weeks i think it's perfect we're having this discussion because i think this is the right time to just just remind myself of that. It's a nice point to reflect just at the end of the back end of the carnival. But, mate, we do have one big week still left at Ascot, and you've already mentioned another horse you wanted to follow. Obviously not 
in Perth, alive and free. But I am keen for you to tell our listeners who you might think is a good bet leading into the Kingston Town yes, Classic I, next week. I do have that. Um, oh, just the other thing, distance. We mentioned... Got right, oh. It got to be a right distance. How do you miss well. distance? I oh, know distance is important. <laughs> it just came to me. Yeah, right distance. Run us through that in the in the context of the Kingston Town Classic okay. next week. Who are you, who do you like? I can't see why the railway stakes winner Regal Power can't win it again. And yeah. I know um, the three year old is the favourite. Um, I think maybe that might be based on history because last week, last year, we had the three year old one. But I think Acadia Queen is a uh, was is is a star, so I can't see the why uh, Regal Power can't back up and win again. Interestingly, in the railway, um, the favourite Willie Pike jumped off the favourite to ride Regal Power, mm. both from the same stable. It's a fairly good sign, isn't it? That that was nearly going to be my should have backed it. <laughs> so, but then, but I'm going to contradict myself, and I think um, I think I heard Willie Pike might be riding the three year old. Oh. Um, jumped off. But we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll wait until final field, but I'm keen on Regal Power. The other thing is, I think Regal Power is coming out of a a more a race that was more strongly run, whereas the three-year-old's coming from a, a race that was a, at a more moderate speed. So that might have to find... Um, it might be in a race where it has to find itself under more pressure that it's not used to. So that's another. I mean, that's another element you you've got to think of as well. So um, <laughs> you could probably have a whole podcast yeah, just yeah, on uh, different elements yeah. to consider. And I think because Regal Power has also ran well at that two thousand meter mark. Yeah. Um, Kingston Town eighteen hundred. You know that double suit. Yeah, and coming up in distance as well from the railway, yeah. which is. Um, which is probably about the right time. Look, for me, best of days looks great at 7 or $8, but I'm ha- more than happy to follow you in on Regal Power there, Big V. I, um, in terms of horses to follow, I just wanted to touch also on Hong Kong. So there's a big Group 1 meeting there uh, next weekend. And rather than necessarily tipping any horses, just wanted to run you through some of the horses that we've been exposed to here in Australia that are running over there. So in the Hong Kong Vaza, we mentioned a few weeks ago that True Self who won the Queen Elizabeth, um, will be heading over there for that particular race. And currently at $12 looks a pretty good each-way bet. Another one in that race, second in the Melbourne Cup, Prince of Arran. Uh, didn't perform that well in Hong Kong when it last went there from memory, but it, you can also get that at $10. So I think those two out of the Australian form look look like good each-way goes. Magic Wand is, is over there in the Hong Kong Cup, over 2000 and is currently a little bit short for me. At, at 3.40, but one that we've obviously seen win here in Australia and in good form. And then finally in the sprint, uh, this year we've got In Her Time heading over. So probably didn't have the same sort of uh, spring here in Australia that it has had in the past, but uh, you're getting around $12 in the sprint there, and we know our horses perform well uh, when they go to Hong Kong generally. So think that's not a bad little spec as well um, if you're looking at uh, Hong Kong next week. For you to follow at good prices. Yeah, I think the favourite would be hard to beat in the sprint. Probably will be. Yeah, yeah no, well, that's what they're... We're here to find value, though, Big V. I must say, within our time, I do prefer her over a little bit shorter than 1200 but, you know, at $12, yeah. I'm happy, to, happy did, to have a look. Did run, was it second or third in the sprint, VRC sprint last yeah, year? Ran thir- oh, yeah, ran third a couple of weeks ago to um, Nature Strip. As well, yeah. Yep, so yeah. I think it ran in the money last year as well. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, top 500, she can handle, but I think she's better early in her prep. I think this will be... Um, yeah, fresh over a 1,000 is in her time, sweet this, spot. This will be... Uh, I, I think this will be tough for in her time. Well, we'll uh, wait and see when we next have our podcast, and hopefully I'll be able to um, show you the cash, Big V. <laughs> This week, we've also got a few good runs from the bush, though, with uh, you know the Melbourne side of the Spring Carnival sort of dying down a bit. I've uh, been able to get out to a few of the, uh, the, the tracks around country Victoria, and I've seen a few that I'm very keen to follow. Um, so the first is Power Boom, one that's maiden at Seymour about a week ago now, and is heading to the Magic Millions next, which I know is a meeting that you follow very closely. So I'll be interested to see how it goes there. I don't think it'll be a, a favourite. I, I can expect it to probably get a good price around it. So it, it won really well at Seymour in the meeting that was moved from Kyton. So happy to happy to follow that in. At Pakenham, I went down to Pakenham for the Thursday night racing last week. You know, always a wonderful track, that one at Pakenham. Definitely recommend if you're... Uh, if you're out that way to get down there on a Thursday night, the season's begun. Um, and I found two that I think are definitely worth following. So Diode, bit both of them are maidens, uh, beat a really high-quality field, which I think we'll see. It was race two, for those listening. Uh, beat a real quality field, and I can see it, it really kicking through its grades quite quickly, won dominantly. And in the fourth, Mr Stylish was a seven-length winner of the uh, maiden there over 1,600, and... You know, hit the front at about the 300 and just went away from the rest of the field. So two horses there from Pakenham Diode and Mr Stylish, I think you'll do well to follow uh, uh, over the next few weeks as we head into the summer season where perhaps it isn't as strong as spring and, um, yeah, some, some money to be made. And uh, you've been going around a few places. You're at Cranbourne last week, Pakenham this week. How, how far does it take to get to Pakenham from your palace? Oh. <laughs> uh, look, um, look, depends when you're going. I happen to, uh, The Thursday night is a bit hard to get to, Big V, because you've got a bit of the traffic on the freeway as you head out there, but about an hour. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not too bad, mate. It's, um, it's worth every second on the road, too. It's a, it's a great night out there, and they've got probably one of the better facilities, I think, particularly from a country perspective, yeah. but I think it actually it's as good as some of the metro tracks to be honest in terms of um your viewing and and the actual track itself playing fairly most of the time as well we got a bit of feedback on our country segment or our runs from the bush segment last podcast and more so on my pronunciation of particular uh, horses always a point of so, contention your pronunciation so yeah cranburn moi shoe is that a lot better. I think you so, went with Moi Shoi. Moi Shoi. So Moi Shoe, obviously by Jimmy Shoe. Mm. Uh, I've just had a look. It hasn't had a run since that Cranbourne win. So I think the the feedback actually was around your ability to um, enunciate the French language on that on that particular yeah, it occasion. Wasn't, it wasn't um, very good, <laughs> and, and it was from someone who I think did learn French back in um, his high school days. Well, yeah, no, I'm very quick to throw stones there. I thought you did pretty well, Big V, off a, off a short run there. The other exciting uh, country event that's actually happening today, being Sunday, uh, is the Jericho Cup, which sees its second running uh, ever um, over the, the unique distance of 4,600 metres. So, you got a tip? Uh, look, I don't. I think, there's a, there's, I think there's two in the market. I, I don't really follow that particular form, and... Interestingly, this year they were letting some of the New Zealand Raiders over here to, to, to take it on. So I think it's a 
$300,000 race at Warrnambool and a really good tribute too to I think uh, some of the, the actions in the war so as well. Um, so looking forward to seeing that race. I always enjoy that. It's a high weight, so you see a few different jockeys and and different trainers around as well, which is always good. Um, sometimes you can get a bit caught up just seeing the same trainers and jockeys after the race. So very much looking forward to that later today. So that's actually probably a wrap for this show and, and a wrap for the season, our first season of the Should Have Backed It podcast. I just wanted to send a, a thanks to all our loyal listeners of um, the podcast and the commentary that's come back, um, some positive, some negative. We'll definitely be looking to come back bigger and better than ever for the Autumn Carnival. But what we're going to do in the meantime is have a special podcast in uh, mid-January following the Magic Millions event there up on the Gold Coast, a favourite of both Big V and mine. So we'll definitely be watching. So why not have a podcast to talk about that? Uh, As always, um, in the meantime as well, please feel free to contact the show at our Twitter handle, at ShouldHaveBackedIt. You know, it's uh, you know we've been getting a bit of feedback there as well, and Big V's very keen to send out some uh, interesting tweets. He even sent one out about Glenn McGrath the other day, so that was a bit one out of the box for me. Any comments on that, Big V? Just felt the need to to show that no, one. No, someone was just tweeting out just some uh, ordinary umpiring decisions of the past, and some of them are quite um, humorous to look at when you just see how you know, how bad some of those decisions were made and. Yeah, I think one of them was the Adam Gilchrist run-out decision when he was clearly in and, <laughs> and he was given out. So, yeah, yeah it's just um, someone was doing that during the week and you know, I just thought I'd pass one of them on. Worth, worth keeping in mind when all the, when people um, knock things like the DRS that yeah, well, there, the, there were some shocking decisions that occurred and well, now can be overruled. Pakistan's first innings, they had the DRS so was it consecutive deliveries earlier in their innings. Or very close to. I think you're talking about the 1989-90 series there, Big V, yeah. <laughs> rather than the current series. No, the current series. Yeah, <laughs> had two reviews. Back to, it was nearly back-to-back, weren't they? You were oh, watching yeah. the cricket last night. I was. No, they were, and they both um, didn't go in Australia's favour from memory. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to a good summer of cricket. And, yeah, something we might do in the podcast um, next year, we'll, we'll stay tuned on, is to diversify a little bit and start talking about some other sports as well. But if you are missing us between now and Christmas, please, we've got seven episodes up on Spotify and iTunes. So listen back and see where we may have got it right and wrong throughout the spring carnival. Uh, and, yeah, continue to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a second if we, when we do put our podcast up in, in mid-January. And uh, always happy to uh, receive review and feedback, and particularly around Big V's French, uh, French skills. So... Thanks for listening and we look forward to uh, speaking to you again early in the new year. And in the meantime, good luck on the punt.